You know something is wrong. You can see it all around you. You're wondering how things got to this point. Good is called evil and evil is called good. You want to truly know why we got to the brink of the abyss? Can't just be told. You must see it for yourself. I'm Scipio Eruditus, and this is Dispatches from Reality. Hello, hello, my dispatchers, my listeners. I am your author, your narrator, your host, Scipio Eruditus. And for today's episode, we have a a very, very fascinating topic. A confluence of topics that one would not associate with each other. If I asked you at the outset here what the overthrow of the Hawaiian monarchy and baseball have to do with each other. If you answered Freemasons, you would be correct. (laughs) Today's topic is uh, all about sports and the Masonic roots of modern American sports. Uh, Really, as we look at the, the impact and the effect that sports have had on our culture, you know, as a, an institution, it is, it's really hard not to say that it has been a detriment to our society. I mean, look around at the state of our culture, and more men in our society can tell you about the intricacies of all these different stats. They know this player ran for that many yards and threw this many touchdowns on this date in 1962. But if you ask them about pivotal events, in our history, if you ask them how our government works, if you ask them, when's the last time you went to a school board meeting? Well, a whole lot of crickets, huh? <laughs> and so, this is, in my opinion, I think a very natural side effect of what is essentially a, an elaborate occult ritual, like so many other things we are subjected to in our society. Sports is no different. Sports is no different. Um, you know, football a little bit less so, but, you know, baseball and basketball in particular, these sports are not popularized without the Freemasons. And as I've, you know, covered in my writings and we have discussed in other episodes, this is not a benign organization, despite what you've been told. They, you know, they shroud themselves in these charitable works, these faux charitable works, right? Oh, but what about the Shriners? You know, the Shriners hospitals, they do so much good work. <laughs> any, any 501c3 has to report every year their assets, their income, a, a, a host of financial information is given to the federal government, to the IRS every year. This is one of the prerequisites of being a 501c3. So the Shriners Hospital, as a 501c3, has to report their assets and their income and all of this every year. Do you want to know how much money the Shriners Hospital has on hand? Over $10 billion. Yes, billion with a B. $10 billion. Think about how, I mean, you know, Christmas in particular is a really bad time for their noxious commercials, 
where they parade sick and injured and dying children in front of you so you can give them more money. Oh, we need your help so we can, we can save the children. Again, this is all in their tax forms. You can go, you can verify all this stuff, right? They paid almost $500 million to their executives and their employees in 2020. And yet the grants that they gave out, so this is what they would be giving to the children, you know, to help heal them, quote unquote, a measly $35 million. Now, I mean, their stock dividends, just the, just their gains from the dividends alone, $250 million or something. I mean, just an insane amount of money. They have so much money at this point that they don't need your donations. So this is the charity, quote unquote, that the Freemasons hide behind. Oh, they hide, oh, you know, we're just, uh, we just want camaraderie and we just want teamwork and blah, blah, blah. We're just here for the love of the game. Yeah, sure you are. <laughs> sure you are. Now, as, uh, as we will explore and go through here, really it's a, the history of some of this stuff is, is fascinating. You know, I, when I write my essays, I generally have a, you know, I mean, generally, I have an idea of where, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm going to say. I have the puzzle pieces arranged beforehand and now it's, you know, assembled rather, and now it's all about arranging them in a coherent fashion to tell that, to tell that story, to tell that narrative. And this is one of the essays that really, you know, took me a little bit by surprise, honestly. I was very aware of how much of a scam, how rigged the NFL was for a long time. Uh, you know, as we're going to go through in the, in the further research section, it is... I mean, this is like not hidden, you know, this is something we've known for a very long time. There's been betting scandals and gambling scandals plaguing the NFL from the inception of the league, from the inception of the league and baseball is the same way, right? Very, very famous betting scandals. And again, throughout the history of the sport, I mean, when we're talking about the sums of money that we have, the idea that this would be left to chance is, well, as we've seen. That's absolutely not what is going on here. And so this was one that really snuck up on me because the amount of influence that the mystery religion has played in the history of these sports, it was uh, nothing less than stunning. And as you, you know, run through some of these, again, the spider web here, you pull on one thread, you, you end up hitting a bunch of, you know, other nodes. It was fascinating how much the history of baseball is intertwined with the, really, the downfall of the Hawaiian monarchy. You know, we'll get into that, uh, get into that a little bit more when we get into the further research section here. So, yeah, just right off the bat, um, seriously, if you don't watch the videos, if you're, if you're not watching, you know, some of the, the supplemental stuff that we're, you know, I'm adding in here, it's, you're really missing out. And, uh, you know, as always, go to dfreality.substack.com, go subscribe, check it out, all free. And we have all this stuff linked, all the sources, um, you know, seriously, at this point, it is basically a college course in conspiracies. And so if you are not subscribed yet, if you're purely an audio listener, really, you got to go check it out. So the Frontline Documentary, An Unauthorized History of the NFL, uh, first aired in January 17th, 1983. And uh, Jessica Savage, a frontline reporter, uh, does an amazing job on this, you know, in exploring in depth the close, close connections between the mafia, the FBI, 
and the NFL. And this is from 1983. This is long before Vegas was, I mean, before we had legalized sports betting. And she goes through the history, the connections between, I mean, again, the, the NFL has essentially been an outgrowth of the mafia from its inception. Tons of connections from the owners to these criminal organizations. And then likewise, as I've you know, explored in crafting a cartel, one of my series on organized crime, uh, you, can, you can see the clear connections between the federal government and the mafia in the same way. And so really, this is all one big incestuous uh, organization, really outgrows of each other. And uh, you know, we can see that from you know, court decisions that have come down in favor of the NFL. And so I'm going to lead us into here to a pair of books by Brian Tui. Uh, the first is The Fix is In, The Showbiz Manipulations of the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and NASCAR. And then the follow-up book to it, uh, The Fix is Still In, Corruption and Conspiracies the Pro Sports Leagues Don't Want You to Know About. And so both of these books um, really dovetail with each other, right? And, you know, the author is, uh, he's an interesting character. He's an interesting character. And so, you know, Brian Tui is gone in front of the Supreme Court. He's won cases. And it's, you know, this is just a matter of the legal record at this point, right? Not even a conspiracy. Is that the NFL is not a sports league. None of these, you know, sports leagues, quote unquote, are actual sports leagues. They're entertainment businesses. Precisely like the WWE or the WWF. I mean, I guess there are people who still think these are real things happening, but this is all scripted, right? This is all scripted. The end result is known before these two fighters are getting on the field, before they're getting in the arena. Legally speaking, there's absolutely nothing, absolutely no laws preventing the media or any of these sports organizations from lying to you on TV. They can pretend it's real, and there's really nothing you can do about it, legally speaking. And so, it is, man, it's just, as uh, the author goes through here in his books, it's, uh, it's really not even debatable, honestly. It's not even debatable how much these games are rigged, and it's getting, you know, it's getting very, very obvious lately, ever since the, uh, you know, the institutionalization of sports betting. Uh, I forget that Supreme Court case a couple of years ago. I think it was New Jersey um, that oh, really opened the floodgates to the legalized sports betting that we have. You know, a multi-million dollar industry, uh, tens of millions of dollars, and we're going to be eclipsing, you know, a hundred million dollar industry uh, within the next couple of years here. And it is growing just by leaps and bounds, sports betting. And so we're talking about tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars at this point. The idea, this would just be left up to chance. Well, that's clearly not happening, and Brian Tui documents this pretty extensively, as a lot of NFL players are starting to come out and uh, admit to this as well. Next up here, we have Randall Balmer, uh, excuse me, uh, Passion Plays, How Religion Shapes Sports in North America by Randall Balmer. You know, this is one of the aspects of sport uh, and of this essay that I was, um, I guess, a little bit taken aback by, right? Is really how sports has become the modern American religion. And we can look at, I mean, it's, it's nearly identical. The decrease in church attendance and the increase 
in football game attendance. As America has become more paganistic, more atheistic, more occult, more Luciferian, our infatuation, our idolatry of sports, of comfort, it has increased exponentially as a result. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's an accident. The energy that people used to have towards their own spirituality, towards their own physical accomplishments and goals. You know, instead of going out and doing a physical pursuit, well, now you just sit at home all day and you vicariously get to enjoy other men's physical pursuits. Really, really, just an an insidious form of entertainment, truly, uh, when you get down to the, the psychological nuts and bolts of the matter. And it is, I think, one of the prime suspects here, one of the prime culprits of the demasculinization of America, the neutering of the American male, their fascination with childish things such as these sports. Really, it's, uh, it speaks for itself. It speaks for itself. And yeah, Randall Balmer's book here, Passion, plays a, a very interesting uh, look at this subject. Next up here, we have uh, Interference, How Organized Crime Influences Professional Football by Dan E. Moldea. Again, this is uh, kind of covering ground we've gone over in the unauthorized history of the NFL, but fleshes it out a little bit more and really adds some meat to the bone. And we get to see how the FBI has acted as a, uh, you know, the cleanup crew for the NFL for so many years now, right? It's, it's quite fascinating. I think it's a, you know, it's a touch on the essay. 26 out of the 28 football teams that the, you know, at the time that this book is written, it was written in the, uh, in the 80s. 26 out of the 28 teams had, were, they were located in cities that had an FBI field office. Now you could say, oh, well, these are the major cities. Of course, they're going to have FBI field offices. Yeah. You can make that argument, yeah. Not dispositive proof of anything, right? But, you know, again, we have just coincidence after coincidence. They pile up here. And eventually, you can't really escape how closely these two organizations work together, hand in glove, still to this day, right? Next up here, we have Live All You Can, Alexander Joy Cartwright and the Invention of Modern Baseball. So this is a biography about uh, one of the inventors of uh, modern baseball, Alexander Cartwright, a uh, Freemason. And so really the interesting parts of the book is when he arrives to Hawaii and talking about um, you know, his enmeshing and propagation and proliferation of this uh, Western-style Freemasonry, the Scottish Rite, uh, into Hawaii. Now, Freemasonry had been active in Hawaii, the, the French Grand Lodge had set up shop there before the Scottish Rite, the Americans had set up shop, but uh, really, really a fascinating, a fascinating study, and look at this man's life, I mean, it's, we're like forest level gums of serendipity here, I mean, this guy's just popping up all over so many major historical events, you know, you see him at the Gold Rush, he's a New York lawyer, you know, <laughs> working uh, you know, relatively high profile cases at the time, and then you Eventually, after becoming a prospector, moves to Hawaii, becomes the fire chief, and all while being an economic advisor to the queen of Hawaii, the last queen of Hawaii, it's 
I mean, man, you want to talk about coincidences. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating character. And yeah, the, the role that Freemasonry played in the, the overthrow of the Hawaiian monarchy, I think, is uh, something that definitely caught me by surprise and a topic that I'll be, you know, gonna, we're going to have to explore in a much more in-depth fashion because it is a uh, really follows a textbook playbook that we've seen in so many other revolutions throughout the past 300 years. So next up here, we have a pair of shorter pieces. So we have Maya, myth and ritual, human sacrifice in the context of the ball game, and the relationship of the Popol Vuh uh, by Jessica Zaka Janini. Uh, probably butchering that name there, but uh, very interesting essay, shorter essay about the uh, Mayans and their uh, you know, version of base, uh, excuse me, basketball rather, and uh, uh, the amount of cult symbolism that is just infused throughout the Mayan bowl game, and it's an elaborate ritual, and some of that symbolism is carried over into our modern sports. Uh, a very, very fascinating look at this subject, and uh, one we'll explore more in the essay, so I'm not going to belabor too much here. And lastly, we have Sports and Religion in America by author Remy Arthur Remyard. Um, again, as uh, the Passion Plays book kind of covers, our fervor, American religious fervor, it has been replaced by this civic religion that is sports. And you, know, you want to talk about the opiate of the masses. I mean, look at our society. Truly, truly look at our society. We are falling apart. Absolutely falling apart. I mean, the fact that children are not just, not just allowed, but encouraged to forever mutilate themselves in ways that are inalterable. I mean, this is truly one of the most barbaric and evil things that I can imagine. And instead of any kind of rage, instead of showing up to any of these drag queen story hours to protect their children, the American male has been domesticated. He has been beaten down. He has been neutered uh, psychologically, spiritually, uh, chemically. I mean, the amount of chemicals that we are being bombarded with on a daily basis that and you look at the testosterone levels of the American male today, your average 30-year-old has a testosterone level of a 60-year-old, you know, just from like a generation ago. I mean, there is a, a legitimate crisis, a physiological crisis that is at the heart of really why we continue to even take this, why we continue to accept the most heinous and evil things that anyone could possibly imagine. Truly, truly just shocking. Don't know how else to say that. And the American man's abdication of his authority, of his duty, as protector, he's given it up so he can solace himself, he can spend a nice Sunday, as society gets put on autopilot. Well, we have seen the fruits of that colossal mistake. Without further ado, I will be reading from my July 25th, 2023 article, American Idols. 
Quote, The similarities between sport fandom and organized religion are striking. Consider the vocabulary associated with both. Faith, devotion, worship, ritual, dedication, sacrifice, commitment, spirit, prayer, suffering, festival, and celebration. Daniel Wan, Sports Psychologist. End quote. Since the earliest days of man, contests of athletic prowess, politics, and religion have been inextricably linked. This relationship goes way beyond surface-level comparisons or similarities in linguistic terms. Sporting events, whether it be the Greek Olympics, the Roman Colosseums, or the Mayan Bowl game, were not purely for entertainment purposes alone. They served as vital rituals to enforce societal order and cohesion. The ritual is quite simply an ordered process in which specific acts are repeated in a specific manner, whether secular or religious in nature. When rulers held these sporting spectacles, they served not just as a useful distraction, but also as a tacit display of the sovereign's wealth and power. In America, professional sports now serve a similar function. As shocking as this may sound to the casual fan, Basketball, football, and baseball were all created or propagated by Freemasons. Some of the most well-known athletes, coaches, and sporting icons are naturally members of this ancient fraternity, including, but not limited to, Shaquille O'Neal, Scottie Pippen, John Elway, Red Arbach, Arnold Palmer, Sugar Ray Robinson, Jack Dempsey, Ty Cobb, Roger Hornsby, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Ted Williams, Grover Alexander, Branch Rickey, Onus Wagner, Cy Young, and Joe Frazier. These men are iconic, forever shaping the landscape of their respective sports. Without Freemasonry's ever-present influence, modern American sports as we know them would simply not exist. For a primer on Freemasonry and its true beliefs, see my cornerstone essay, The Great Delusion. Perhaps the greatest impediment to self-governance is our own addiction to comfort. We all know people like this, and many of them are our family or friends, and they might even have been you at one point. Their lives revolve around professional sports or their pet hobby. It affects their moods, their attitudes, and their relationships. They know more about the intricacies of a game involving men in tights than they do about how their own government works. Tailgate? Sign them up. Town hall meeting? Crickets. Professional sports have effectively become our new civil religion, and it is no accident that Freemasons were there to shepherd them along every step of the way. Quote, Basketball is like religion. Many attend but few understand. Scott Skiles, NBA player and coach. End quote. The first organized team sport in recorded history was the Mayan ball game. It held a central place within Mayan life as a religious ritual, a political ritual, and a sporting event wrapped into one. 
Human sacrifice was unquestionably a central aspect of this ritual, as Mayan art and city layouts make clear. Quote, the proximity of the ball courts among and within these ancient cities also suggests that these arenas were an integral aspect in Mayan life into the Mayan elites. For example, at Chichen Itza, there exists an adjacent structure to the ball court termed the Zompantli, or Skull Rack, where the skulls of the decapitated human players were displayed. Pramaya Ritual and Myth. End quote. By sacrificing the best players and war captives after a game, the Mayans believed this ritual helped ensure the cyclical rebirthing of the sun, as well as a fertile harvest. Festivals and games would also be held after military victories and on significant religious holidays. The Mayan ball game fundamentally served as a religious and political tool by which the elites of Mayan society could remind their subjects of the true order of things a ruthless hierarchy based upon physical might and the divine providence of the gods. Before the game was played, extensive pre-game rituals would have been conducted as the priests and nobility looked on. Players would dress up as various mind gods, playing their small part in the mock pageant of cosmic proportions. After the starting toss, the rubber ball would constantly be kept in motion without using one's hands. Players would strike the ball in an attempt to send it sailing through the stone hoop from east to west, in homage to the rising and setting of the sun. The Mayan word for ball, kik, means more literally sap or blood, clearly invoking the sanguinary nature of the game. The ball also signified a human head, i.e. knowledge or wisdom. Many human skulls have been found inside these Mayan artifacts. Naturally, a pagan ritual such as this is steeped in arcane symbolism. Quote, Esoteric meanings attached to the movements of the rubber ball, the layout of the courts, the actions of the players, the outcome, and post-game sacrifices fundamentally pertain to concepts of primary cosmic cycles, equinoxes, as well as seasonal agricultural fertility. Emphasize were the pervading dualities of dry season and rainy season. Sky, underworld. Day, night. Sun, moon. Morning, evening, Venus. And most especially, death, rebirth. And there was a preoccupation here with the underworld, including the passage and transformation of sacrificed ball players, which primarily symbolized the diurnal death and rebirth of the sun and correspondingly, the moon. The sacrifice of the sun in the West through the guise of a privileged quote-unquote ball player assured the sun's successful underworld passage and its ultimate transformation and rebirth in the East. From Maya, Ritual and Myth. End quote. It is essential to note that the symbolism of the Mayan ball game bears a striking resemblance to the Resurrection myths of the Egyptian deity of the underworld and vegetation, Osiris. This story is just one of the many veiled meanings of the Masonic allegory of Hiram Abiff, i.e. Nimrod, the man of many names. It is also important to note that constructing these archaic proto-stadiums would have required extensive knowledge in stoneworking and masonry. 
beyond the ritual and religious purposes of the game, it served as an invaluable tool of societal manipulation on behalf of the Mayan elite. Bread and circuses have ever been used to distract the masses from their plight. Unsurprisingly, such symbology is seen once again with the founding of American basketball. James Naismith, the inventor of modern basketball, was a lifelong and active Freemason. In a pattern we will see quite frequently in this essay, Masonic lodges played a huge role in the spreading of the game. Naismith served as the worshipful master of the Lawrence Lodge No. 6, the lodge he was primarily affiliated with. The first basketball game was played on December 21, 1891, the winter solstice. This night is the longest night of the year, and is celebrated by pagans and occultists alike as the symbolic rebirth of the sun. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that a sport modeled after the Mayan sun rebirth ritual would be christened on the holiday celebrating that very ritual. Pictured is James Naismith, the square waist pin notated above, signifies his former status as a master of the lodge. Quote, Baseball is like church. Many attend, few understand. Leo Durocher, MLB player and manager. End quote. Occultism has unquestionably made its presence known within American baseball. There is some dispute amongst baseball historians on who the authentic founder of the game was. Major General Abner Doubleday was historically credited with creating and playing the first baseball game in Cooperstown, New York, in 1939. Doubleday was an officer in the Union Army and just so happened to be present at Fort Sumter during the false flag that started the Second Revolutionary War. See the Frankenstein Formula Part 1 for a further discussion of this event. On April 14th, fellow Freemason Robert Anderson lowered the American flag at Fort Sumter, signaling the beginning of the not-so-civil war. General Doubleday would then fortuitously find himself at the decisive battle of the war, the Battle of Gettysburg. Yet another pivotal event, with no shortage of influential Masons calling the shots. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. After the war, Doubleday would join one of the more infamous occult groups, the Theosophical Society. The society was co-founded in 1875 by a Russian mystic and sorceress, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. The history and philosophy of this organization is worthy of its own future essay. But suffice to say, Madame Helena Blavatsky is one of the most influential occultists in the last two centuries, rivaled only by the beast himself, Aleister Crowley. Doubleday would quickly prove himself indispensable to the madam. When Blavatsky and her co-founder Henry Steele Olcott moved to India in 1879, Doubleday would be selected as the president of the American branch of Theosophy. Upon his death in 1893, General Doubleday was buried in Arlington National Cemetery. An obelisk of the mystery religion marks his final resting place. Pictured is the grave of Abner Doubleday. 
with a now generally accepted creator of American baseball as Alexander Cartwright, a man with a no less fascinating biography. Cartwright joined the Freemasons in New York City, becoming a Master Mason before ultimately heading to the Hawaiian Islands in 1849. To further the spread of <clears throat> baseball, just weeks after he arrived, Cartwright petitioned the Honolulu Lodge for membership. He was exceedingly active in the creation of new lodges over the next decade. Eventually, the French and English strains of masonry within Hawaii would unite under one lodge, an event commemorated with Hawaii's first public Masonic ritual. King Kamehameha IV led this cornerstone-laying ritual as Grand Master of the Lodge, with Cartwright serving as the representative of his own lodge. By this time, Cartwright had already ingratiated himself with Queen Emma, the wife of Hawaii's last king and fellow Freemason, King Kalakua. Cartwright served as the Queen's financial advisor until his death in 1892, just six months before the Masonically inspired revolution that toppled the Hawaiian monarchy. I cannot help but remark on the sheer absurdity of this man's life story. It's forced gump levels of serendipity. First, he's a New York lawyer, then a California gold prospector, before becoming a Hawaiian fire chief, ultimately winding up as one of the most influential Westerners within Hawaiian politics. Quite the streak of increasingly fortuitous circumstances. And all of this while relentlessly propagating, quote, America's national pastime, end quote. Baseball historians don't find this incredulous fact pattern the least bit curious? It's a yarn only a mason could spin. Morris Raphael Cohen is the first person known to equate baseball to religion, saying, When the future scholar comes to speak of America's contribution to religion, will he not mention baseball? If baseball is religion, a charge I would concur with, then it is a decidedly Masonic one. Like basketball, Masonic clubs help spread and popularize this nascent sport. Freemason symbols are clearly evident throughout baseball, an obvious homage by its creator. Let us refer to the Masonic Dictionary for a better understanding of the significance of the number nine within Masonic Gematria. Quote, In Freemasonry, nine derives its value from it being the product of three multiplied into itself, and consequently in Masonic language the number nine is always denoted by the expression three times three. For a similar reason, twenty-seven, which is three times nine, and 81, which is 9 times 9, are esteemed as sacred numbers in the advanced degrees. End quote. In Kabbalah, 9 is the Sephirot Yasad, a symbol for the phallus, as well as the creative energies of man. The Masonic numerology reference above is seen throughout the game. For example, 3 strikes, 3 outs. Nine players per team, nine innings, 27 outs per game, 81 home games a season, 81 games on the road, 90 feet between bases. Although a newer tradition, 
The checkerboard pattern makes a prominent appearance on the field as well, a notorious Masonic symbol. And baseball in particular is filled with a truly staggering amount of sacred geometry. The ancestral Masons of yore would have no doubt been impressed with the sheer density of symbolism displayed here. Pictured is a Masonic checkerboard pattern, and then next to it, a baseball field checkerboard pattern. We have a Masonic baseball card pictured, as well as a Masonic baseball jersey. Quote, The importance that our society attaches to sport is incredible. After all, is football a game or religion? The people of this country have allowed sports to get completely out of hand. Howard Cosell, sports journalist and ABC broadcaster. End quote. Masonry's ties to football are admittedly more tangential, but no less significant. On October 26, 1863, the Football Association was founded at Freemason's Tavern on Great Queen Street, London. The United Grand Lodge of England's new Connaught rooms now reside at that same address. And the first football game played in America was between Princeton and Rutgers. Both of these universities were rife with occultists by this point. Princeton had founded their Masonic Lodge just a year earlier in 1868. The Order of the Bull's Blood was founded in 1834 at Rutgers. Freemasons were no less integral to spreading this game, with Masonic teams and clubs helping to spread this Americanized version of rugby. To the left is a picture of Masonic hand signals, and to the right, an NFL referee in the same pose. And then below, a Masonic football team from the University of Texas at Arlington. Like the rest of the legalized federal cartels masquerading as free enterprises, such as big tech, the FBI and the NFL are essentially a revolving door. Since its creation in 1908 by Attorney General Charles Bonaparte, the grandnephew of Napoleon Bonaparte, the FBI has effectively served as the Reform's Praetorian Guard. Investigative journalist Dan E. Moldea details this decades-long partnership in the first chapter of his book, excerpted below. Quote, As a result of the 1963 players' betting scandal, NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle created NFL security and selected Jim Hamilton, the former chief of intelligence with the Los Angeles Police Department, as its first director. In 1966, Hamilton, who died after a long illness, was replaced by William Hundley, the chief of Robert F. Kennedy's Organized Crime Division in the Justice Department. Hundley was succeeded by Jack Danahy, a New York FBI agent, in 1968. Danahy held the position until 1980, when he was followed by the current director of NFL security, Warren Welsh, a former Miami-based FBI agent. NFL security is supported by a network of private investigators, mostly former officials with the Justice Department and other law enforcement agencies, who are stationed in the 26 cities where the 28 NFL teams are based. New York and Los Angeles each support two teams. From Interference, How Organized Crime Influences Professional Football, end quote. 
as a blatantly unconstitutional federal police force, the Bureau has always served as the strong arm of the federal Leviathan. Due to these systemic criminal ties, the integrity of these professional leagues have been called into question time and time again. Gambling scandals have plagued the NFL since Super Bowl III. In 1983, PBS journalist Jessica Savage released a scathing frontline report on game-fixing within the NFL, as well as its voluminous ties to organized crime and illegal sports betting. In October of that same year, the car she was riding in crashed into a shallow drainage ditch. According to the coroner, she drowned in under a minute. This behavior is by no means a thing of the past. Cheating and gambling scandals continue to plague all major sports leagues on a now yearly basis. With legalized sports betting on the rise, expect such behavior to increase. With tens of billions of dollars at stake, to think otherwise would be naivety of the highest order. Quote, We're talking about a different NFL now. Before, it was more about the game. Now it's such an entertainment business. It's turning into the WWE, really. It's like the Vince McMahon stuff. Basically, Goodell is like Vince McMahon. Joe Thomas, Cleveland Browns tackle. End quote. As a matter of legality, there are no laws against a sports league fixing or predetermining the outcomes of games. While they advertise themselves as a sport, professional leagues legally identify as something else entirely. The NFL's argued in court as recently as 2010 that they are not a sport, but an entertainment business, the same classification as the WWE and professional wrestling. There is no FCC requirement that any sporting or news outlet must tell the truth on television. In fact, Fox argued it was their First Amendment right to lie in 2003, and the Florida 2nd District Appeals Court agreed that media corporations like Fox can blatantly lie to its consumers. The exceedingly generous and patently absurd legal dispensations that have been granted to these sports leagues should dispel the notion that professional sports are somehow separate from the government. If not for the federal government's largesse and legal protections, such businesses could not operate as the tax-free monopolies they currently are. Former players have begun increasingly speaking out about the charade that is modern sports, such as Super Bowl champion Dwight Smith and former Kansas City Chiefs running back Larry Johnson. Quote, At the end of every game, this has been a presentation. I kept getting called crazy, so it's apparent you sheeple accept the reality in which you are presented. Truman Show. Larry Johnson. End quote. As Larry Johnson documents quite extensively on his Twitter account, sports are no less steeped in occult worship than Hollywood, the music industry, or politics. Quote, I'm sorry it's hard for you to swallow that top-tier professional athletes of this generation are flirting with secret society, mystery Babylonian religions, Baal, Baphomet, that include disgusting sacrifices. By Larry Johnson, end quote. Naturally, there is no shortage of photographic evidence confirming these charges. 
pictured as a uh, array of sports stars. We have LeBron James throwing up the occult hand signs of the Freemasons and Illuminati. We have Kyrie Irving tattooed with symbols of the mystery religion. And we have Tom Brady uh, covering his one eye in a Masonic pose. Below are pictures of Masonic grips being exchanged during and after football games. On the left, we have Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. In the middle, we have Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. And on the right, we have Tom Brady and Commissioner Roger Goodell, all exchanging Masonic grips. Quote, Give them bread and circuses, and they will never revolt. Juvenile. End quote. While the homeland rots away, our sports teams, in concert with local government, have shaken down the taxpayer for ever more outrageous sums of lucre. Over $5 billion in government assistance has gone towards the creation of mega-stadiums since 2000. Major American cities have turned into squalid, homeless encampments, while professional sports leagues benefit from exceedingly generous legal loopholes and tax subsidies. Professional sports as an industry is on target to eclipse $83 billion in earnings this year. In 2022, sports gambling totaled $55 billion in revenue. While elderly Americans face eviction for falling behind on their property taxes, Billionaire team owners get to skip out on theirs. As long as our bellies are full, as long as our TVs are working, the modern American male cannot be woken from his slumber. No matter the decrepit state of his civilization, no matter the filth pouring into his child's mind, he always has enough time to plop down for a nice 12-hour Sunday marathon of mindless entertainment. In Black Ops and Black Magic Part 2, I discuss at length the extraordinary capabilities of television as a psychological weapon of mass manipulation. Given that fact, it is stunning to think of the collective damage that watching over one trillion minutes a year of sports programming does to a nation's cognitive faculties. Ultimately, these are games of make-believe. An illusion. Not that they don't exist, obviously, but that anything of real meaning or value is occurring. It is admittedly difficult to discern whether our society is simply withering away due to our fixation upon childish distractions, or whether the ubiquitous distractions are what manifested these dire results in the first place. They should not be misconstrued as a rejection of the value of physical exercise or athletic challenges. Quite the contrary. Rather, it is a judgment upon the inordinate value the average American male has placed upon these games. A value which is nothing short of idolatrous. While church attendance has declined the past several decades, sports attendance has soared. That is no accident. The mystery religion has usurped our birthright from the very inception of this country and its corrosive tentacles now reach into every corner of our lives. Our men are enthralled in the siren song of comfort, restrained with shackles of gold, but shackled nonetheless.
generations of American men thought they could put civilization on autopilot. Their children will be forced to reckon the true cost of those decisions. Quote, The NFL is like a spectacle of violence. For entertainment, and you're the actors in it. You're complicit in that. You put on the uniform, and it's a trivial thing at its core. It's make-believe, really. That's the truth about it. Chris Borland, San Francisco 49ers linebacker. End quote.